Excited about NFTs in the metaverse? Ready to be part of the future of gaming? Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. Welcome, friends. It's another uh, Tokenomics podcast episode, and I'm here today, no Mishka, no Anton, a very special guest. I've got Mike Rubinelli, the Chief Gaming Officer at WAX. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Ethan, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you on, uh, to have on anybody with a career as illustrious as yours, uh, who's red-pilled on crypto gaming. Um, before you give a little bit of an introduction, I mean, yeah. just going through some of the places that you've been, mm. EA, Midway, THQ, Take-Two, Disney Playdom, and Kixi. So mm -hmm. your career has spanned console, it spanned Facebook Canvas gaming, mobile gaming, and now crypto. Uh, Midway, uh, being from Chicago, is very near and dear to my heart, my dearly <laughs> departed Midway. My my only goal in crypto gaming is to somehow make enough money to figure out who owns Smash TV and buy the rights from them. So um, anyways, with that completely unnecessary diversion, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about your background and uh, some of the places you've been and, and games you've worked on? You know, I can answer that question about who owns Smash TV, and I have all kinds of insider stories about the creation yes. of that game and the history. It's Martramel, Eugene Jarvis, like that whole thing. If you ever want to yeah. rattle on... I do, so arcade, much. <laughs> ...arcade lore and all the kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. it is fascinating to a certain sect of people I know. I'm always riveted by it as well, um, yeah. including if you take Smash TV and you look at the the, the precursor to it, Robotron, you know, yeah. Eugene Jarvis talked about in a real simple terms as to why the game works like you came and imagine. And then when he said that to me, it was just like, it's so struck a chord. Like, it's so obvious the compulsion loop that he's built. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, they're, they're brilliant people. Let's, we can talk about that at another time. So, yeah. yeah so, you know, I, hearing you talk about all the places I've worked, I'm like, either I don't have job security and I hop around a lot or I'm <laughs> super old. Uh, I hope neither of those are true, but. I like the problem. label accomplished. And okay. I think it's part of the industry. It's part mm -hmm. of the industry to move. No one, no one stays at one company forever. Yeah. We're not a work 35 years at IBM and then retire kind of generation anymore, are we? It's, no. it's very much kind of, you know, onto the next bigger and better opportunity. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, ironically, that's actually, I saw that a lot at EA in my early days where people were super accomplished, but the people that they worked for, for the jobs that they would want to take were also super accomplished. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, there's obvious career progression from here for me here at EA. They had to leave and go work at Sega or, you know, mm -hmm. another kind of, you know, publishing group. 
And then you realize, like, wow, that person was really good. Let's get them back here. And so the, the running joke at EA was, you want to get promoted, you need to quit. Right. Because they'll bring you back at more money at a higher level, you know, and that's how you get a promotion to EA. And so yeah. I think that is true to a lot of companies. And people will kind of job hop to find that next bigger, better opportunity. And sometimes it's at the place they were, but they had to leave to, for the other people to realize that. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. All right. So – uh, you, you've recently made this move to wax. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we, you know, I think I'm p- part of what I'm doing with this podcast series is I think sure. a lot of the colleagues in, in this, this audience are free to play primarily free to play developers, maybe right. crypto curious and not as tapped into right. uh, crypto gaming as, as you and I are. So why don't you uh, first tell mm-hmm. us what, uh, what wax is and mm-hmm. what your role there is. So as you said, I'm the chief gaming officer at Wax Studios. Wax, Wax is is a blockchain. We do not own Wax necessarily. It's like saying we don't own the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are we are a, a layer one solution, and we utilize the Wax, which is built on the EOS IO standard. And 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 the, and the reason why I think that matters, right? Because people say, well, gee, what's the difference between Polygon and AVAX and you know, Dapper Labs and Avalanche and you know, on and on and on. Like those are all Ethereum layer twos. And mm-hmm. so they're always going to be constrained by what Ethereum can do. And Ethereum is great for collections, right? It's, yeah. it's got, you know, a lot of crypto whales live there. So people are like, oh, let's build on Ethereum because that's great. Ethereum is actually not get great for gaming. It's actually right. terrible for gaming. And so when you hear about people like, oh, I'm going to support Avalanche or Polygon, it's like, good luck if you want to scale. And I, this is not meant to disparage, but we've seen right. this, right? We've seen Sunflower Farmers. We've seen kind of problems with the Board Ape Yacht Club when they did their land sale, you know, a couple yeah. weekends ago. The, the Ethereum fees, the, the gas fees, excuse me, were through the roof. Uh, it's it's not a chain that scales. It's not a chain that has really kind of expeditious transactions, but Wax does. And so the great things about Wax is relates to gaming. And this is what really kind of, you yeah. know, makes me feel like, you know, our heart is in the right place and we're really building on the right technology is that the Wax blockchain can support up to 8,000 transactions per second. Mm-hmm. And consistently for the last kind of year plus has done over 20 million transactions a day, which is more than every other blockchain in the world combined. Wow. Like it's all about high levels of transactions, right? It's, it's expeditious, it's, it's, it's very rapid to resolve. Um, when you have surge pricing and you have limitations, it's fine if, you're, if you've bought a CryptoPunk, you'll get it in three days. Like, okay, it doesn't matter if I have a tear, but in gaming, Right. You know, if you just lost, you know, a match, CSGO, Valorant, you know, what, you know, pick your, you know, head to head or, or player versus player versus player game of choice and you want to win, the, the natural gaming instinct is I'm going to go out and buy the BFG 9000 right now. I'm going right. to jump back in right now and I'm going to blow somebody's head off right now. Like it's all about now. Like I bought yeah. this, I want to upgrade, I want to progress, I want to win, I want to do whatever. And so, you know, Wax, we have fairly instantaneous you know, resolutions because like I said, to transactions because we can process it up to 8,000 transactions a second. I think most other chains are kind of 500 to 1,000 transactions per second. And when we say transaction, we mean really kind of an update to the ledger, right? Mm-hmm. You're changing the memory. And that's what we do. We don't can't count a server-to-server handshake as a transaction. So um, real meaningful things that we can do. And it's really like Wax is purpose-built for gaming and the impulse nature, the compulsion that gamers have. Wax can service those entities. And we can scale. We have 13 million Wax Cloud wallet owners. We can scale, you know, a, a gamer experience, you know, we think, you know, a really, really long way and not kind of melt down at 100,000 DAU. Right. And so to give kind of a, a tangible... 
So Wax is an alternate. It's a different layer one, right? Ethereum's mm-hmm. a layer one. Solana's a layer one. Wax is a layer one, and it's purpose built for gaming and high mm-hmm. high transaction volume and scalability. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, what that might mean on a on a practical level is, let's say I'm doing my I have my game, and my game has heroes and health potions, and health potions mm-hmm. are a token. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to heal my hero, I have to spend a a, a token to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm on um, uh, Ethereum, mm-hmm. one, that transaction is going to be really expensive in terms of the mm-hmm. gas fee just to heal yep. my hero. But two, in, in game, so let's say I've even moved to Polygon, mm-hmm. um, uh, which in, in game, I'm going to have to do something to mask the transaction time, right? right. So someone will say, um, will tap a button. Mm-hmm. And it'll say healing hero and like there'll be a spinner and maybe you'll fictionalize it like they're yeah. going to the hospital or, you know, right. the spell is casting. <laughs> right. And then some number of seconds or minutes later, the transaction will complete right. and they would be at their full health. And, and having a layer one with higher transaction volume, uh, transaction speeds, more more processing power and capability, you're mm-hmm. saying if, if you're on WAX, it'll behave like a game that you're used to, which is right. like press the button and the thing happens. Right, right. And you're right. not doing... I know that on, on the game that I'm working on, on, on Legendary Heroes Unchained, we do a lot of... We have a lot of thought into... And, and this isn't that different than... Um, than just thinking about the normal client-server interactions of a mobile game, right? You have right. to do this sort of stuff in, in some way anyways, but we do, it is amplified, and we do think about, well, how yeah. how do I design my game so that as little as possible is happening on-chain? Right. And, and if I understand what you're, you're telling me, you'd say, well, you know, Ethan, if you were building on WAX, you wouldn't have to make those compromises, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And and, and we, we advise people to, again, traditional gamer, game developers, like, look, do as much stuff in the client as you possibly can, set up your own back end. Mm-hmm. When you want to go and you want to update the ledger, you know, when you want to change that memory footprint, be smart about it, but also understand that, y- y- you know, that is where the kind of classic gaming experience can fall down, yeah. right? So the way that this space wins is that if you have an experience that is better than what they're currently doing, right? We always say we want to build the best games possible that just happen to utilize parts of the blockchain, the best parts of the blockchain. We don't say, hey, come play our game on the blockchain and compared to other blockchain games, it's really good because that's not going to get mass adoption, right? That's going to get you, you know, adoption of people that are playing existing pay-to-earn experiences, but that's not what you want. You actually want to speak to the 3 billion gamers in the world, not the, call it, 50 to 100 million you know, P2E gamers. Right. And so you want things that look and act and function like uh, a, a traditional experience. So if we take your health potion example, like in a, in a free-to-play game or in a, a mobile-based game, you're like, you go to the quote-unquote store, and you click buy health potion because you want to use it. And But on the blockchain, if the free-to-play potion is a fungible token or non-fungible token, you're like, I want to go to a secondary market or an exchange and buy it, and maybe you get it right away or maybe you get it in three days. Mm-hmm. And it costs you a dollar to buy it, but it costs you... Fifty dollars in gas fees to actually right. purchase it. Like, like that's just non-starters. Those are the things that just don't work. Yeah. And because gas fees are surge pricing, like Uber is, um, yeah. you never really know. And on Wax, another benefit of the Wax that I blockchain that I didn't illustrate, which I clearly should have, because it's a huge value, is we never charge any gas fees. 
It's always 2% okay. of whatever the sale is. Like it's 2% on a million dollars or on a dollar. It really doesn't matter. It's always 2% all the time. So everything you're buying and selling is at, is at a, a, a margin that you can calculate. You don't have to go, well, I hope, I hope there's, the chain isn't congested, right? I hope there's, right. there's the surge pricing isn't surging against me, right? Like there's right. all these things that are, when you go to transact on these other chains that are Ethereum-based, you just don't know. Whereas Wax, you always do know. Right. And you bring up a great point in terms of, you know, when you talk to the traditional gamer, you don't want to educate them like, oh, you need to learn what withdrawal means and deposits, and you need to understand block emissions, and you need to understand deflationary measures, and you need to understand tokenomics and ICOs and IDOs and IGOs and IEOs. Like right away, you're like, wait a minute, I'm lost. Yeah. I just want to show up and play. And you're telling yeah. me I have to hold this whole new lexicon that is basically five terms, right, if yeah. you will, because – that's we're guilty as a as a sector of this audit, of this of this gaming world of speaking to ourselves, and that on blockchain brawlers is something we very much did. Like we don't talk about wallet, we don't talk about withdrawal, we don't talk about deposit, we don't talk about any of these five things. Even though blockchain brawlers is this very highly optimized gamification of decentralized finance, moving towards a PVP based uh, experience, we very intentionally said we want to talk to people if they're gamers in a language that they're comfortable with. Because when yeah. I played all these DeFi games when I first got into the space, or all these blockchain games, what got into it's the really space, tough. It's really hard. That's a high yeah. bar. I'm like, I was going onto YouTube watching videos of how to set up my wallet and what does a wallet mean in in this term? Like, don't I have in-game inventory? Well, you really don't. But but wait a minute, I'm so used to like it was it was it was like I was. It's really tough. The the the. I was going into the very high bar of, of, a, of a New Orleans parish trying to learn Cajun for the first time. And I was just like. <laughs> I know I speak English, but I don't speak this English, right? And so yeah. you have, things that are easy to explain are easy to understand. If they're easy to understand, then people are going to adopt it. And that's why if you look at the Wax Cloud Wallet as an example, to set up a Wax Cloud Wallet, it's really simple. We use all single sign-ons. Like, like, oh, this is Web2. I just click Facebook right. Connect or Google OAuth or my Discord uh, you know, credentials, like, and I'm in. Like, yep, you're in. Like, oh, wow, that was so easy. Okay. And because of that, We've gotten, like I said, 13 million users using the WaxCloud wallet because it was just so simple. And that kind of simplification and easy to digest is super important if we're going to bring traditional gamers from free-to-play into the P2E space. Yeah, this this all, I mean, the way that you're describing Wax, it, it plays very much into what my hypothesis is on the space, yeah. why I red-pilled is that Mm -hmm. um, having come from free-to-play and having a very uh, successful mid-core uh, free-to-play game in Legendary Game Heroes that I was a part of, mm -hmm. um, I saw what it's like inside of a game that's doing many, many millions of dollars per year. You know, that game yeah. uh, did over $250 million in revenue is, is the public figure from a, three years ago at this point. Yeah, fantastic. And, like, um, my hypothesis is legendary game of war uh, all these free to play games are mm -hmm. um lords mobile state of survival any of them they're digital economies with currencies mm -hmm. and assets mm -hmm. and when the technology gets to the point where i can have an an equally frictionless experience playing a web 2 free to play game and a web 3 free to play game mm -hmm. but in a web 3 game uh, if I play AFK Arena for six months and I spend $100, mm -hmm. and then I'm like, I'm done playing AFK Arena, I can sell my assets to someone else for $80. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm gonna, of course I'm going to play that game where I can resell my stuff 
instead of the equivalent experience where I don't because the number of times where I personally don't spend money because I'm like, Ethan, I lit- I pep talk myself. Like I'm like looking at a battle pass and I go, Ethan, you are a monetization designer. You know what is happening. You know you someone like you engineered these emotions inside of you. Like don't you know you're gonna regret this. Right. Like, don't spend the money. And right. and I think that I would spend the money if I knew that I own the assets. And so it sounds right. like it sounds to me like Wax has a very similar philosophy underpinning its its design, which is uh, to enable people, uh, not only the design of the system, but then at Wax Studios, the design yeah. of the games that you're doing, that it's just like, this should just be a normal gaming experience, basically. Yeah, look, I think the thing that, you know, people say, well, why did you get into the, you know, the, the P2E space? And I said, you know, it, there's so many valuable lessons that we learned, but history is kind of perfectly consistent on these platform transitions or business model transitions, business model evolutions. It's like there's always going to be a winner, and the winners are the groups that are native in that space. So if you look mm-hmm. at the most recent kind of big cosmic shift in the industry in terms of business model, it's going from kind of, you know, console-based or downloadable content DLCs to free-to-play, right? Mm-hmm. It started with the Facebook canvas, then that moved into mobile. And mobile, there's still a little bit of a a freemium, if you will, kind of model or a kind of a low end kind of 499 and you get all the content. There's no real live ops. It's kind of this, this experience. It's in this, it's in this, it's in a silo. Um, There's no, but but the people who are really making Apple, their revenue are the Lord's mobiles and state of survival. Exactly. Exactly. Free fires of the world. Right. And what's really interesting is that, that I always, that I felt back in 2010 when I, first started learning about that and doing that first i realized i'm future proofing myself right because you're working off of analytics which you're going to look at player behaviors and mass you're no longer saying well you need a focus group of 40 people in a room and get them to vote yes or no i would buy this like you can just put this out to twenty thousand people and say please download this and we can look at how they behave provided all the monitoring reporting in place and you can get a clear signal on retention engagement time on site like there's all these things that that matter that you can that and then the real the realization there was oh the sooner I get something for people to respond to, the sooner I can fix the things that are obviously that I didn't see because I have my perspective of one right mm-hmm. and I am an arcade action gamer and I'm kind of very aggressive and I'm very PVP focused but I'm building something for women in Centerville Ohio that are 45 and up and so it's not my wheelhouse but I right. I now have comfort as a designer knowing that I have this paradigm in place and I can see how they consume and how they mm-hmm. behave. And then I can adjust that. And that's super liberating in the free-to-play space. So the whole the clarion call there was, okay, let's make sure that free-to-play is the business model because that's mass adoption because there's no yeah. friction to enter, da-da-da-da-da. And, and then we knew that EA wasn't going to do it. And we knew that Riot was kind of going to be a leader in the space because they were new there. We knew that Supercell was going to do it because they were a leader in the space. Like All these people that were native free-to-play companies, yeah, they were the ones who shifted the landscape and forced, you know, Tencent, EA, Warner Brother Interactive at that time, Midway slash yeah. Williams, like, they all forced them to shift their thinking because there's no, like, this is so obviously better, but it took a North Star experience to show them that. And they're like, wait a minute, how did this company make, you know, $10 billion in revenue and we can't sell yeah. any more than a million cartridges, whatever the, you know, they were saying. Yeah. So pay to earn is the exact same way. So the question that we have and our foundational thinking Again, as we always talk about, we have to find a cause greater than ourselves. That allows us to live a meaningful life because we're doing meaningful work. That mm-hmm. cause is exactly what you said, giving the players agency, giving yeah. them ownership over what they so, – so we classify this as P2E or play to earn. I very much think about this as play and own, 
right? Because yeah. I think when you talk about play to earn, the focus is on earn, but it needs to be on play. Mm-hmm. More play, less earn. The earn will come. Like, like revenue is a result. It's not a goal. And that's a really important thing to point out is that we don't ever look at player revenue as our goal. They're like, how are you making me more money? I'm like, my goal isn't to make you more money. My goal is to give you a game you want to play for two, three, four, five years. Yeah. The money will come if we do our job making a really fun, engaging title. And that's what drives us. The, the, the earn part will be the result, but it's earned because you're owning what you have. And you said, I think a really important distinction is you said, well, I want to quit. I know I can sell myself for 80 cents on the dollar. What we're saying is when you outgrow things and you no longer need them, you can still keep playing. And yeah. now the bottom of your inventory level is you're, 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 you're putting into a market or you're giving to a friend of yours that now you, it took you three months to earn whatever that kind of starting level weapon is. I'm making it up. Yeah. And now you're six months in, but your friend wants to play and they're six months behind you. You're like, no, I'll help you catch up by three months. I'll just give this to you because I own it. I can do with it whatever I want. I can trade it. I can sell it. I can, you know, disassemble it. I can break it down materials. I can sell them. Like, but I own those things. I have agency. I have ownership. And that is in creating a player to player economy or a participation economy, as we refer to it as is so unbelievably powerful. And we know that this is the way the world is going. And we at WAX want to lead that change. That is our charge. That's our inspiration. You know, in in giving back to the players, that's the cause that is created in ourselves. And that's what really drives us. And that's how we think about, you know, that's how we're wired. And again, sort of the last comment on all of this is that we want to build games that are really fun to play that just so happen to have those things in them. Mm-hmm. Because what you have to do is you have to convince all those people to stop doing what they're doing, and you're going to have a play experience that's just as good. But now there's this whole economic consideration that actually puts it over the top, and then that's how you tip the behaviors in your favor. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't remember if I, I, I if I've said it on on this podcast series before, but like mm. the way I think about the difference between uh, play to earn, play to mm-hmm. earn, and play play and own. Is, mm-hmm. is the or play and earn is the one I'm I'm using. Yeah, right? like Splinterlands, right? Um, basketball mm-hmm. as a sport is mm-hmm. a play to earn game, right? There are some portion of people involved in the basketball ecosystem who make their living at it. Some of those people right. are the stars who are making millions and millions of dollars. Some of those people work in management in the clubs. Some of those people do laundry for the team. Some of those Mm -hmm. people sell concessions. There Mm -hmm. is a portion of people who make their living from the sport of basketball. Mm -hmm. But if you look at all people who are involved in playing basketball Mm -hmm. or any sport, it is much, much bigger than the people who are making any money, let alone superstar money on it, right? Yeah, it's exactly. people playing it in rec, re- rec leagues. Mm-hmm. It's playing it in uh, a pickup game during lunch at work. Um, it's playing it at school during during recess. Like, the game of basketball is much bigger than the economy of basketball. And I think, and you know, uh, League of Legends is the same. There are very exactly. few people who make their living from League of Legends compared to the number of people who play it for fun. And I yes. think that play and own games or play and earn games are going to be the same thing. Just because a game has the um, capacity for people to generate revenue from it doesn't mean that the uh, 
that the majority of people who are playing it are going to. Like, you have to make a game that's fun first and that people want to play. Yeah. And, like, you know, I feel like I can't shout at my free-to-play colleagues enough. Like, we know how to make digital economies. That is right. that is what we do. Why are you so resistant to these ideas? It's so, it's so powerful and it's so hard. And I'll tell you, so I'm really active in the Discord community on Blockchain Brawlers because, first yeah. of all, I want to connect to the community because I'm a very social person in that regard. But the overarching mm-hmm. comment when say maybe the token or the NFT values go down as they're one to do because they yo-yo all over the place. Yeah. Um, we made a big kind of balance change where there was an exploit in the economy that we didn't see that we had mm-hmm. hoped was going to kind of rear its ugly head and it did. And people are coming in like, oh, now I'm losing money and, you know, what are you going to do to fix this? I'm like, I'm actually not going to do anything to fix it because my job right. isn't to make new money. They're like, but I've lost money. I'm like, well, how? Have you sold it at a loss? Like, no. I'm like, so you're actually not making money as fast. They're like, right. So your ROI went from 15 days to 40 days for you to, re- right. And that's like two and a half times as long. I'm like, right. But what are they like, it's like, what other, you know, kind of investment vehicle do you have where you get all your money back in 40 days? Well, none. Right. That's not the point. The point is you made it worse. So what are you going to do? Like the whole conversation revolves around the monetization aspect mm-hmm. and the, and the income piece, because that's what those paradigms have conditioned players to focus on. And that yeah. is so wrong. And that is so backwards. And it is super unhealthy because when you have players, all of them show up to do the same thing yeah. every day for the same reason with the same expected outcome, then all you've done is create this optimized race to the bottom. And so right. people go, Gee, why is this cratered? It's like, well, there's nothing else to do. And yeah. everybody does the same thing for the same reason with the same expected outcome. So you have to give them deep, meaningful gameplay choices. You have to give them things that are interesting that are unknown, like uncertainty drives us forward in life and in gaming in particular. Uncertainty as a game design construct is very well known. It's very powerful. But yeah. actually, these players of these games are gamblers and speculators. They're not gamers. And so uncertainty actually works against you. They're like, nope, I want to know what my ROI is. I want to know how to optimize my, my return. I want to make as much money as, as quickly as I can. Now, the money and the DeFi stuff is all well and good. The problem that pay-to-earn games have, though, is that there's been so many projects that have been just disasters. And people yeah. have gotten absolutely fleeced on that the ones that are really good, you say, okay, trust us, we're really good. Hold the token. Hold the NFTs. Watch them appreciate in value because if nobody sells – then demand is really high, supply is really low, and the you know the powers of supply and demand economy is your friend. But what's happened is people have so gotten their clock clean on the project. As soon as they're a little bit in, in you know, a little bit of currency accumulated, they just sell, 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 right. sell, sell. And when there's massive sell pressure and there's nothing, there's the economies of the sinks and the faucets aren't in alignment. Then things go down and they go, oh, look, everything is going down. It's like, well, right, you're not holding. You're selling as fast as you can. Well, I'm selling as fast as I can because these four other projects, I got my ass kicked. It's like, right. but, the, but that's not this project. They're like, right, but I have to make up for those other projects. So there's this whole downstream effect that, it, it, and, and again, because the focus is singularly on making money, which is super, super unhealthy. Yeah. Um, so we've we've mentioned blockchain brawlers a couple times. You said you're mm. – there's wax the blockchain and then there's wax studios and it sounds yes, like wax right. studios is the game development and publishing arm of wax mm-hmm. is that correct that's correct yeah that's correct got it so tell us so i know wax you guys has, have had wax has, yeah yeah go ahead. i'm sorry go ahead oh, I, I i know that wax has had a big success recently i saw some uh big success headline on uh blockchain brawlers minting and the release of the token 
Um, and that's actually how we got connected. I made kind of a, not a snarky as much like a, fo- well, a little snark. I'll say it was a little snarky of a, of a commentary and someone was like, oh, Mike, what do you think of this? Um, but why don't, why oh, don't what, you tell what, us a what little did I, what, did I, what did I say? Oh, no, so, someone just tagged you. And then, uh, oh. then I, I messaged you and said, hey, come, come on the podcast. I want to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, of, um, of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, blo- what Blockchain Brawlers is, which sounds like it's an internally developed title. It is. It's first party all the way. Got it. So what is Blockchain Brawlers and what if the tell us about the success you've had so far? Can we start can we start with what your snarky comment was? Because I always (laughs) like to learn. I don't I don't look when people disagree with me, I take it as a moment for me to understand why I don't feel attacked. I'm like, oh, I I approach disagreeing with a healthy curiosity, which means that I either didn't get to you or message something correctly and so i always like how can i get better i'd let's love see. to know what that comment was if you remember i'd love to know too let's see if i was a total jerk or if i was uh kind of nice okay i said this is what i said anyone playing blockchain brawlers looks like they're putting up impressive figures on the game side and this was based on a headline of uh 357 million dollars in volume in the first week trading volume and then right. i said I've only looked at one video so far, but this looks like right now it's not that different from an early quest style Facebook canvas game circa 2012, but with tokens right. as a reward. Is there right. more here than meets the eye? Right. So that was that was my commentary was like really impressive launch, great trading volume. Um, the game looks very early. A- am I missing something? Should I buy in and play this game and discover more? Or is that where they are in their development cycle and they're going to keep adding features over time and, and in a year yeah. I'll look at it yeah. be impressed. By the way, first of all, I think your comments were very fair and maybe yeah. a little bit complimentary. Like, I don't even think this holds up to a early Facebook games <laughs> game in 2012. Like, I put out <laughs> Avengers Alliance in 2012 and it was an incredibly deep and sophisticated right. game with a ton yeah. of design and just monetization loops for days and days and yeah. really well done. Like, I don't think we were even up to that standard. So the fact got that you it. I got my year wrong. I should have been, I'm trying to think of like, when was, how early was it? 29 yeah. was Super Poke and, you know, Own right. My Friends and Parking, yeah. whatever the heck Parking that Wars. Yeah. Parking Wars, right, and on and on. Yeah, so look, um, the thing that we've said from, like, so I started doing press on blockchain brawlers in kind of mid-January. Mm-hmm. And I said, day one, you're going to have a game that looks very, very familiar to you, right? And in yeah. uh, your your flawed thinking will be, is that all this is going to be? It's not. But mm-hmm. it is what it's going to be today. Well, like, we were very clear. You're going to get into the standard kind of mining and collection loops that exist, but we're building a deep, meaningful kind of PvP-based game that's going to run for five years. Got it. So know that we have this aggressive roadmap. And know, and, and why can I say that? Because I'm undoxing myself. I'm Mike Rubinelli. I'm 25-plus years in game development. Yeah. Here's all the things that I built. Know that like what you're going to get on day one is going to be better than what other games give you on day one because there's going to be really deep and, and really slick UI. There's going to be contextualized menus. There's going to be you know exchange support. There's going to be really you know clear kind of upgrades to questing. There's going to be all these things. There's going to be a soundtrack. There's going to be a new user flow. Like It's going to feel like this really robust thing, but it's what, what you're going to do is going to be this very much this mining activity, which you yeah. know. But if you have faith in us, the worst version of this game you will play is on day one. But right. day 31 will be better. Day 61 will be better. And you know, at some point, we'll get meaningful PvP. And like, oh, great. Tell us about PvP. I can't yet, but you just got to ride with us. And like, well, why should I trust you? First of all, because I'm a doctor myself. Second of all, we're wax. We're a billion-dollar right. company. We're not a group of developers that have never done this with no money. Like we didn't do an ICO because we didn't have to. Right. And you're asking for tokenomics reports because you want to see how many of those tokens are going to go to the development team. Zero. 
We don't need to, we're not self-interested. So we're not going to get tokens that we're dumping on the market because we need to get paid that way. Like everything about us is very different. Like mm -hmm. we speak differently, we demonstrate things differently, we operate differently. You're going to have no need to up your CPU, you know, on blockchain brawlers, even though a lot of titles on WAX have CPU constraints because they write their smart contracts in inefficient ways. And we have the power of the platform. Like there's just all these things that we just tried to lay out to convey confidence, integrity, and, and, and make the unknowns known, right? And so as an example, in February, we put out a communications calendar, which nobody does. The game's not even mm -hmm. out yet, but we're gonna tell you every two days of the month. And then March, mm -hmm. we're gonna come out at the end of March, but in March, every two days, like just consistent, 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 yeah. consistent. I'm in channel every day, like, wow, this game is up. These developers in the channel all goddamn day. Yeah. Like, again, building credibility, building equity. And so we had Richard Garfield in our back pocket, but we couldn't talk about it. But we said, <laughs> there's a deep and meaningful PvP game here. And people are like, I don't know, just looks like a mining game. I'm like, right, we know what you see on the screen today. You have right. to have this vision. You have to trust us. And we're trying to build this trust by communicating and by showing you who we are. We're trying to show you how we operate. We're sharing screenshots with you. We understand what it is, but this is not mm -hmm. what it's going to be. We have this very long lens kind of perspective. And before the game came out, we said, here's literally one year of feature development. And they're like, oh my God, so much cool stuff. Pay-per-view, massive global tournaments, you know, female mm -hmm. brawlers, you know, potential, you know, action figures based on the brawlers that you own that you can have in real life. Like there's all these things that's not just like, you know, trust us, cool new stuff is coming and, you know, really these really thinly veiled features on a quarter by quarter basis. Like we went yeah. into a lot of depth because again, this is internally developed, and this is our first project. It has to work. Wax has to be seen as a winner. We have to give a better, a better yeah. experience. But all the while, we also have to learn about what does that paradigm want to be. And so everything that we do is all learning based. Like we have, you know, thirty different kind of reports that we look at in terms of player behaviors. And we're trying to make sure that we're always dialing those things in. We're not just hoping that Google Analytics gets the, you know, data right and we can kind of tease out the signal that we want. Like there's mm -hmm. a ton of effort that goes in. Like this is a team of, you know, kind of 20 plus people, you know, yeah. and we're all really accomplished game developers. And, and what's really funny is the game came out on day one. They're like, one guy literally said, oh my God, you pulled it off. You delivered everything you said better than we thought. <laughs> I'm like, well, right. what do you think I was going to do? Give you a POS that didn't work? Like, yeah. Anyway. They're so used to it. So, so let me, let me go back to something really quick. Cause I, I did see the, uh, the headline on it, but I want to uh, underline it. Uh, legendary game designer, Richard Garfield, creator of magic, the gathering and, and yeah. thief of my adolescence. He's right. designing blockchain role. Yeah. The, he's so designing have, the PVP system. He's designing the PVP system. It's awesome. Yeah. And he's, by the way, I'm like you. It, it's you know I've met a lot of famous people in my life, and celebrity doesn't really affect me. And, I, and that's not me right. by me saying like I look at them as people are people. Right. But when I got on that first call with Richard, it was so hard not to fanboy. Like, <laughs> Richard, you know what I do? Can I tell you about my deck, Richard? Like it's so hard not right. to. You know, that's your instinct because again, he's such a seminal moment and impact on your childhood and your yeah. adolescence. Your as, as an economy designer in my place as a game designer. Like yeah. there's so many lessons that you take away from that, whether it's conscious or subconscious. It's hard not to get swept up in the romantic notion of here's one of my heroes and please don't be an asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he is a sweetheart of a guy and he's so smart and he's so thoughtful. And we originally engaged with him. He said, look, Richard, I'd love this to build a kind of a really light, you know, trading card game, you know, in the spirit of, of magic, if you will. And he's like, yeah, I understand that's obvious. He said, but you have to understand the math on balancing magic. He said, it's and any kind of trade, trading card game is really, really complicated. He said, forget yeah. designing the cards. 
forget what the kind of the, the, the play turns and the re- resolving the stack. He said, just the balance of all those things is so exponentially difficult. It's probably a year after your game is built that it'll take a year just to balance it all and having harmony. He said, and as you add a different, like if you go with a sort of a three color construct versus four, every time you add a new color, he said, you're just exponentially upping the, the balance yeah. curves. He said, but what I do have, he said, you know, I have a kind of a, a living deck or a single deck card game that's really fun and interesting that could work really, really well with Brawlers. He said, I've been designing it and prototyping it for about 10 months. Wow. He said, and it's not out anywhere. He said, you can have it, not exclusively, but you can have it and have it be the first time this game goes live is in your world with your, you know, your aesthetics. And I said, Kinda. tell me about that. Because, you know, the funny <laughs> The thing you're going to appreciate, Ethan, is the first thing he says to me, like, okay, well, you know, what kind of game would you like me to design for you? I'm like, what? What kind of game do you want me to design for you? I'm like, like, that's like Prince coming to me or pick your rock. What kind of song can I write? I'm like, no, you just do what you do. Right. Make sure that you love what you do. I will make it work for me. I promise you. He's like, he's like, I've got this super fun idea. I'm like, whatever that is, that's what I want. That's amazing. It really is. It is. So um, that's what we say to people because we know people like Richard Garfield, and yeah. we know how to how to combine these things. And like, give us some time, have a little faith. We are going to get there, and don't judge us by what you see on the first day. Other than relative to other games like that you saw on the first day, how do we compare? Oh, you're much better. It works. It's super smooth. It's highly transactive. It's really robust. I'm not getting a fail to fetch here every two minutes. I'm not getting yeah. out of resources here. I'm not getting, you know, the sites down. Like, And, and now we have a 25-song soundtrack with a music player. We've got all this shit going on that people are like, whoa, okay. Right. I see it's a you. real like, game. It's... it's a real game, yeah. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be introducing, you know, leaderboards and creating your own PFP and, and naming your account. I've seen so many leaderboards that are a series of wallets. I'm like, yeah. That's unemotional and not fun. Like, let me call myself, you know, Big Brawler, you know, one, two, three, and have a really cool, you know, PS. Like, make me feel like I'm playing a game. And all of a sudden, as these things start to land a little bit every single week, boom, PvP hits. And you're like, yeah, of course, this is incredible. This is so much fun. What what I think is really smart and, and echoes some of the conversations we're we're having internally about mm-hmm. the game and about about the game, the RPG I'm I'm working on and, and mm-hmm. our go to market strategy is like mm-hmm. my my early analysis on the market was that the gamers who are here for crypto games right now mm-hmm. their uh, expectations for interaction and for what a game is are super low. Uh, right. relative to what we're used to, especially if you've been working in mobile for the past five or ten years as right. the ocean's gotten redder and redder, right? Like, right. right? Right. If I think about the feature set of the soft launch for Legendary Game of Heroes versus the feature set for a soft launch of what I would launch today before putting right. my first marketing dollar in, right. like the game today would look like three years of development in right. to legendary. Right. And uh, at least, at minimum, before I would right. bring it to the Philippines with no monetization, it's just right. a very exactly. mature market. Exactly. And I think that if you took that same mindset, if I started mm-hmm. a, a crypto game today and mm-hmm. I spent three years building it before releasing mm-hmm. the soft launch, like mm-hmm. I'm going to lose to someone who's doing what you're doing, which is launch early uh, with like very little there, launch with with something of quality and with a roadmap, mm-hmm. and then set mm-hmm. your expectations and hit your expectations over and over and over again. 
what your yeah. community is going to respond to. Yes, obviously they would love uh, a 3D brawling game that looks like Bayonetta that plays on right. uh, in the web browser with blockchain. Right. Like, who wouldn't want right. that today? But guess right. what? You can build a great business if you start here and you, like, Crypto Raiders is, is not... The last time I played the battle game, the battle game isn't up to the quality, the feature depth of Final Fantasy 1 on the NES. But right. it is a very successful crypto game, and what they're doing is saying, hey, community, here's a new feature, here's a new feature, here's a new feature, here's a new feature. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you, you're saying you're doing is like, here's our roadmap, and guess what? Consistency, consistency, consistency. Like, yeah. forward, start small and prove your intentions and, and prove your forward momentum and yeah. I I think that's where success lies for crypto game development. I think it does too. And ironically, you know, I appreciate those comments a lot. I, I would tell you that in hindsight, I would have launched, knowing what I know today, I would have launched later with okay. more, with more, the MVP was a really lowercase M and maybe even like in a six point font. Mm-hmm. Like I would release an MVP with a capital M that had more gameplay and had yeah. more choices and was more, uh, anti-botting, if you will, like, because mm. bots will kill your game. And if you don't have measures in place to stop them, on the one hand, you think, oh, bots are good because they generate currencies and they generate things that happen. In reality, they're actually not good. They're they're lecherous and they take away from your game and they, they, they find exploits and they do automated things yeah. that regular players can't do. And you have to really fight that fight every day in earnest because as soon as the players feel like they're disadvantaged, the real players, then they're going to churn out. Yeah. And the, one of the ways that we said we were going to combat that on day one is, well, don't worry, the PvP game you know it can't be botted it's all about you know human decisions and are you a better gamer than me do you take more risk or do you take lower risk are you a, do you play like a turtle strategy are you a glass can like how do you sort of what is your mentality of playing a head-to-head matchup and are you how much are you reading the man versus reading your hand kind of thing? like all these things are like really interesting dynamic choices that the humans have in bots won't win but the game they're playing today is all about how much of a currency can i accumulate quickly right and so i would have launched kind of 90 days later than I probably did with more anti-bot measures, more human control, more deeper gameplay with interesting choices. Again, we think that if your game has depth, if your game has interesting choices, then people will come and they'll engage for more than an ROI because they really (laughs) enjoy actually playing. Especially the the other thing that we weren't as deep or as robust on is we needed more token utility. Yeah. Like token utility matters. And the problem that we had and the, the trap that we fell into was Oh, crafting, everybody's going to want to up their roster because the higher roster, the more rares, the more epics, the more legendaries you have, the better token accumulation you're going to have. So everybody will want to try to get to that roster as soon as possible. So you're spending your token to get the ability to make more tokens. And that kind of makes a ton of sense, like sink, 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 sink. Mm -hmm. In reality, people found an optimization flow, and then they just drilled that kind of that output and never upgraded and so, uh, and without other means of u- utilization of the token, like that massive kind of output of the token, like, well, just turn the faucet down. Like, right, you can always do that. But the answer is give them more gameplay, right? Give yeah. them more ways to spend on things that they care about, right? Opposed to just like, well, just, you know, tune the, uh, tuning the economy down is a terrible way to balance your game. Sometimes you have to because there's an exploit that will kill your title. And that's a tourniquet that you don't want to apply. It's a terrible remedy, but sometimes you have to because you've missed something. And people are like, yeah, that's your fault. Like, yeah, it is our fault. Like, we're, you're not going to get us to, to hide from. Right. Like, no, 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 it's your fault, not ours. Like, no, things are our fault. We own that. 
uh, and a lot of that is just kind of being honest and, and owning your mistakes to the community. It's a good look and it's the right thing to do. But also it's kind of a, a, a maturation of this is how live ops works. And sometimes you put an A-B test that gives you a signal, sometimes you don't A-B test, and you make a product call that's the wrong one. And when you, when you miss it, own it, fix it, and move on, you're going to get a lot more credibility and a lot more kind of equity with your community when you're very transparent and authentic with them. Yeah. Um, you've already, just in, the, in that last answer, given us a, a lot mm -hmm. of great insights um, uh, on what I'm about to ask. But, like, what do you mm -hmm. think are um, some of the challenges you see experienced game devs make when they move into blockchain gaming? Right, I think one like one you highlighted is just like, oh, I you know I I launched too early. I didn't do enough to think about bots. Right, I, uh, right. right. We we're we're now experienced how painful it is. Like, the the monetary aspect of it amplifies the the pain in the audience right. of tuning down the economy. These are already great lessons for us, and and I'm wondering what some of the other uh, challenges you know uh, other uh, game devs will make as they face as they move into blockchain gaming. Well, I, I think so. I believe in the kind of the power of crowdsourcing. So the more great developers we have, kind of you know, you know, trying to figure out what is that north star, the better. Mm -hmm. I think the first mistake they make is that this world isn't about to go to crypto-based gaming or NFT-based gaming. It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Like I've done this for a long time. I think my instincts are really, really good. I've lived through a, a, a zillion transitions. Like, you know, I tell the story a lot. I played World of Warcraft. I played Final Fantasy XI for seven years. I played World of Warcraft for like 10 years. Like mm -hmm. I'm a long range gamer, yeah. right? I Clash Royale for six years. There is usually, and there's not in Clash, thank God, but there's usually a in-game kind of counter. How many hours have you played this game? Yeah. And obviously when it spills over 24, it's like, how many days have you played this game? <laughs> right. And then when it spills over 30, it's like, how many months have you played this game? It's like, it's a terrifying thing. Yeah. But once you realize the power of, that's now a representation of my engagement, my time, my time's not been wasted. My time is actually being monetized. My free time is a monetization lever for me to pull. Like that's really empowering. Like, oh wow, I bet you this game has really served me well because of all these things I now own as my engagement grows. Mm -hmm. So that is where this world was going, and there's no denying that. And we are the sea change that is about to take place. And a lot of companies, developers, to answer your question, they make the mistake of building a bulwark around, um, you know, kind of an, an indefensible, outdated business model. Mm -hmm. And they will die on that hill. Right. And the, the Kodak problem, the Kodak film problem. Exactly. And sometimes it, when they realize that they, they're on the wrong side of history, it's too late to change. And so the first mistake they actually make is deciding not to get into it. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that. Like, it is going that way. And like, well, you know, crypto is echo unfriendly. Well, it's actually not. And kind of proof of stake will show that. If you look at our delegated proof of stake, our chain, even though we do 20 plus million transactions a day, was, of course, the entire year, you know, we produce the same amount of energy. We use the same amount of energy during our cryptocurrency as five households or five Americans in a singular household. Like, it's nothing. Ethereum is mm -hmm. moving to proof of stake. Like, the, the, the echo argument is going to go away. I think it's largely false because Bitcoin is the real problem. Nobody builds games on Bitcoin. Right. They can't. Nobody builds Bitcoin dApps on Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Like, yeah. Bitcoin is terrible. Del uh, proof of work is, is an awful, awful thing. Yeah. But the way the world of crypto gaming and NFT-based initiatives work now on WAX and will work on Ethereum once they get their, their act together on the, the proof of stake, like that's going to be a non-starter. So you can't say, well, our audience doesn't like it. Fine. Educate your audience on the truth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, be an educator. Don't be a salesperson, be an educator. And there's a real powerful sort of notion thinking about my job is to educate you. It's not to sell to you. It's like, hey, we're the biggest, we're the best, we're the fastest. You make the most money here. It's like, no, 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 no. Look, don't you want to own your stuff? Don't you want to have complete control over it? Don't you want to move outside of the walled garden that everything goes to the developer, everything goes to the publisher? You do. Like, you're engaged. You're spending time. You're spending money. You're bringing people in. You're actually helping them with acquisition costs, which are really high. This is the way the world is going. So that's the first thing. Don't look down your nose at NFTs right. or NFT-based gaming because it's reality in kind of three to four years. And there's, yeah. there's, just, there's just too much data to suggest that's the way the world is going. The, mis- the next mistake that people make is just assuming that the audience that play these games today is the exact same audience who plays you know, the free-to-play games. They're not. It's very different, and very few yeah. of them are gamers. Um, and then you sit there and go, okay, well, then the games that they're playing, you know, we, we might be able to build a better game or not, but I think we will. Like, no, no, no. The people building these games aren't actual game developers today yet. Like, in mass, it's opportunistic people who know how to build a website, who know how to write a smart contract. They're not, like, classic game developers. So the more people like yourself, Ethan, who are coming in that have a classic game development background, that's the thing that needs to happen, right? Because that's this crowdsourcing kind of real movement that we're going to see in the next... I've seen projects being developed by... There's a game called Metropolis Origins that's being developed on the Wax blockchain. It's, it's a trading card game built by Graham Devine and Austin Grossman. Okay. You know Graham Devine, like 7th Guest, yeah. 11th Hour, uh, Quake, yeah. Quake 3 Arena, like real development chops. Yeah. He's gotten religion. He's built this super deep, really compelling world with tons of narrative. Like when gamers come in and look at those assets and they look at the artwork and they look at all the set pieces and they look at the game design, they're like, oh, this is a game. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not a pon- it it's, it's not only for Ponzi schemes. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And the Ponzi scheme, look, I think maybe there is some legitimacy to that. I mean, the more you feed the bottom of the pyramid, the, right. everything kind of moons, and at some point somebody gets left holding the bag. But if you're playing a game that has a self-sustaining economy where deflationary measures are in place, and it can run for a really, really long time, and it's not bottable, and like there's real interesting choices, then players are going to stay for longer than an ROI because that's yeah. not what they care about anymore. They care about community. They care about, I own these things. These things have helped me win battles. These things have helped me you know, beat my rivals or progress up to the, the highest echelons of a, of a global leaderboard. Like That's what gamers want. And so yeah. giving things that gamers want, which are very different than what the current players want because the current players aren't gamers. Right. So understand that bifurcation and then, by the way, I think you can take these crypto gamblers and speculators that play these things today and convert them into full-time gamers because gaming is unbelievably fun. There is right. no doubt. Like, it is objectively fun. And you can find your flavor of fun across any genre, whether it's Match 3 or 10 Object Games, it's PvP-based kind of squad-based combat, it's a MOBA, it's whatever it is. Like, fun lives in gaming, and that's, that's what you should care about. And so it's a matter of converting those players but then, then showing the existing audience this is a safe space for you. Like, it's a better experience, but you get to own all your stuff. Who doesn't want to do that? I love playing this game, and I have to own everything that I, that I earn or that I craft or that drops for me on a crate, whatever. Like, that's so powerful. There's no denying this is where, we're, this is where we're, we're going without question. And the sooner we get there, the better. And the more developers help us kind of filter out that North Star is, the better. So I'm happy for this to be done immediately. I think it's probably, like I said, aggressively two years away, but probably more like three or four years away. Yeah. But, you know, even Alex Ohanian, to put a final point on all this, Alex Ohanian said about three or four months ago, because he's big into NFT-based gaming, you know, Alex Ohanian, the kind of the creator of, of Reddit, yeah. said in five years, there's not going to be a single interactive gaming experience that comes out that does not have some version of 
of kind of blockchain or Web3 in it. And he's 100% correct. I actually don't think it's going to take five years. It may take less, but he's right. Like the biggest, smartest people in the world think this and they see it. And I, everybody else should embrace that thinking because don't try to defend a business model that's outdated. You, yeah. you need to have the courage to take the risk to, to go into this world and you will be rewarded. All right. That's a great uh, f- a flag of evangelism to plant. Um, I, I, uh, we've talked about, we know Wax Studios is doing first party game development with, uh, blockchain brawlers. And, and I assume you probably have some other games in the pipes. Um, is there publishing, is there developer support? Are there grants? How, you know, is there a a role in uh, developing the Wax ecosystem or is it just about building those, uh, shining lights of like what a great game on Wax looks like to attract other game developers? Terrific question. I almost feel like that was a plant that I said, make sure you ask me about this. So the easiest way for us to tell people when we speak to traditional gamers, like, what do I, how do I think of Wax? Are you just a dev shop? Like, mm-hmm. think of Wax as Sony third party or Microsoft third party. Like, mm-hmm. we're all about, or I'm sorry, publishing, not third party. Mm-hmm. We're all about getting content onto our platform. Yeah. So we do first party games like Epic does Fortnite. Yeah, But Epic doesn't just build Fortnite. Epic actually has an, an engine licensing business that really generates a ton of revenue for them. Yeah. But how do they show you the value of their engine is by putting out content. They build their own dog food. And... That's exactly right. So they're eating their own dog food. We're the same way. So Blockchain Brawlers, we've got kind of four or five first-party games in development that we haven't announced kind of the other ones. But they're all very different. And I'll try to solve a different problem or answer a different set of questions. Um, but we also have second party deals where we invest in developers, we invest in their IP, we invest in their studios. So that's second party, similar to kind of Nintendo and um, our friends at Niantic in terms of how they do with the Pokemon, uh, you know, IP. And then we have third party publishing deals where somebody's like, look, I just need kind of, you know, promotional support. I need to understand how to integrate into the blockchain or I need this or I need that or I need all of the above. I need some of the above, none of the above. Like we have a bunch of different ways to enter into the WAX ecosystem and we have grants available. We have advice available. We have digital real estate available to help sort of serve whatever business needs uh, an individual or a company has. So great. And, and just to close out this uh, fantastic interview, how should, how can people reach out to you? What's uh, if, if they want to build games on wax, what's the best way to start? Yeah. It's, it's super easy. You just contact partnerships at wax.io and we will get you into the, the funnel, so to speak. And we'll meet with you. We'll talk to you about what you're doing. We'll ask you questions. The thing that we don't do is we don't lean into any just quote unquote pure collections for the sake of funding a game. Like we have to make sure there's a real game there because yeah. we, again, the wax field of approval is something that we're really, you're going to see us talk a lot about over the next 90 days is projects that we have vetted that we have endorsed. And sometimes we're the publisher of record and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're just saying, look, this is something worth spending your time and energy on because we feel like, you know, providing again, a safe haven for players is really, really important. So this wax seal of approval, if you will, is something that we're going to put on a lot of titles that we've kind of personally vetted. The developer's real, the game's a ton of fun. There's real thoughtfulness in the economy and the depth and gameplay choices. These guys have incredible vision for where this wants to go over the next two years. Like you have our blessing, feel safe. And we want that to be a bit of a beacon. If you don't see that, you should maybe question whether you want to invest your time, uh, which is your most valuable commodity in your life, whether you want to invest your time and or your money in in this project. Absolutely awesome. Well, if you're out there and you've been inspired by uh, Mike's message, uh, reach out there. 
learn more about uh, how you can develop uh, great games that are not scams but have real deep gameplay, fun choices, and sustainable economies. Uh, you can, Mike, let's, let's, do, let's do this again sometime. Yeah, this absolutely. Uh, I would love to. Thank you so much for uh, uh, coming on the podcast. I've, I've really enjoyed the past hour. Thank you for having me. It was great.